Hello Podcast Collective Consciousness. I hope all is well in your world. This is the Reconsider Simon Podcast. In this audio space, I'll explore consciousness, ufology, high strangeness, the esoteric, spirituality, even the very essence of reality itself. Episode number six, geopathic stress, ley lines, grids, and underground water. Hello, welcome. Just continuing on with the series concerning earth energies and the effect on the human body. Uh, today's episode will be looking at geopathic stress as the main focus. It's the main buzzword for this topic. And uh, this all stems from a, an idea of a geopathology, which is the stress and ill health created by geopathic stress on the body. In terms of the mainstream definition from Wikipedia, it says it's the theory that links Earth's inherent radiation with the health of humans, animals and plants. We can view Earth energies and the shape of the landscape and even the form of the underground, how that's constituted as being a stress, you know, being a negative aspect to human health or animal health or plant health. But there is obviously an opposite side to this as well. The geology of the landscape, Physically and spiritually, it can be healing. You can have uh, ideas of geospirals, spring water, holy wells, positive ley lines. All these things can be really healing to the human body. It's an interesting combination, this subject, a real mix between energies of the invisible, you know, things you can't see, forces you can't see, and the physically noticeable in terms of like water. And there's that strange interaction that, that, occurs which can create a negative or positive outcome to human bodies but then as i mentioned also to animals and plant life but interestingly there are particular animals or plants that actually thrive in areas of what we would call harmful or negative energies you know as an example cats seem to seek out negative energies negative areas to sleep in it seems to benefit their bodies in some way other forms of geopathic stress that not necessarily stem from invisible energy or the form of the landscape or the constitution of what's going underneath under the ground it can come specifically from things like underground oil uh rock minerals you know creation of natural radiation i mentioned many times in this podcast that granite has a natural radiation and that you know potentially being harmful to people this subject seems to be divided between the two different traditions on this planet you have the kind of the european tradition which feels quite recent in terms of some of the knowledge that started to surface within the collective. Um, but then if you look at more of the far, far Eastern traditions, they've had more of this in their, in their history. It's more documentation. There's more kind of information out there that's been known about. Um, in terms of European traditions, the, the grandfather of this whole geopathic stress movement it, uh, tends to be Gustav von Pohl. I hope he's pronouncing his name correctly. Um, but he was researching a Bavarian town called Vilsberg, again, apologies for the pronunciation, um, in 1929. And he was looking at a link at earth radiation and cancer on people. Then we can start to ponder, you know, why is this happening? Obviously, there is this earth's natural vibration, but in some way it's maybe being distorted by the water courses, the, the drainage, the geological faults. You know, this, this physicality may be creating this, this stress on the human body. Moving our focus over to the Far East in China, there's a lot of documentation which I'll talk about later in terms of geopathic stress. And actually it was, it was 
properly implemented at the time it, it defined their building policy like how they locate buildings was decided and where the geopathic stress was in the landscape which is completely different to how obviously it's perceived within the mainstream like western traditions so yeah in terms of like this episode we're going to be looking at the two sides you know the western understanding of geopathic stress a little bit of the sort of far eastern sort of chinese cultural ideas of geopathic stress we're also going to look at potential solutions to your health like in terms of healing like again i've mentioned previously before i'm going through a sort of quite an intense healing journey and part of that process has been involving me grounding in the garden so taking my shoes and socks off and actually kind of just connecting with the landscape and i found a real steady improvement with my health because i've been doing this practice every single day so i'll be looking into the benefits of grounding and kind of the science behind it as well and some of the the figureheads that kind of discovered some of this uh you know recent burgeoning information in terms of you know where i'm getting this information from i mean it's fragments from bits from the internet that i've just discovered and researched my own experience uh some recent books that i've been reading as well are basically informing a lot of this conversation as well and it is a lot of it is subjective as i've mentioned before like dowsers have a lot of different approaches and uh, uh, defining energy and how it works and how it affects the body um so it's kind of quite subjective and you've got to bring your own experience into it as well you have your own biology and i think sometimes how certain energies affect you might not affect people the same way as well so i think there's a lot of personal subjectivity on the on the subject as well but i'm sure i will bounce around many different subjects in a chaotic way and hopefully create some kind of cohesive thread of understanding of like maybe what's going on to a degree so let's begin so earth energies this all links to the subjects i guess with ley lines really it's what people commonly describe them as and for the western side of traditions a lot of the knowledge has surfaced only quite recently um as far back as the 1920s is when this subject really kind of grew into the collective consciousness through a guy called Alfred Watkins. And at the time he was driving near Leominster and he was looking at a Roman camp on his, uh, you know, weekend on his day off. And he got out of his car and he had a vision. He had a vision of, of a series of straight alignments between various ancient monuments. He started to see a correlation of these straight lines between standing stones, hill forts, churches, um, across the landscape. And so this, you know, ignited his, his interest and, um, yeah, just he wanted to research this more. And he then decided to create this organization called the Straight Track Club. Uh, and this inspired people around the country who started to get together and actually find straight lines in terms of this alignment between these ancient monuments like he had found and discovered. As many of you are aware, um, ley lines now tend to be associated with a, a lot of UFO activity, spirits, ghosts, just mysterious goings on, as well as having that kind of energetic component sort of linking up these various monuments. Um, a lot of the research that was you know, kicked off during the 1920s, unfortunately then dropped out during World War II, because obviously a lot of the men and, and other people are away at war. So all of these investigation of the landscape pretty much ceased and it was forgotten about for a number of decades until around about the 1960s there was a real resurgence you know the knowledge still started to build up again 
again, a lot of this information and research can be quite subjective depending on the dowser. And your various dows over the years have gone out under their own steam, under their own inspiration, just trying to learn more about this subject with dowsing rods and other forms of divination. Um, so yeah, again, a lot of some of the information can be quite different from dows to dows I found. Um, but some of the people I'm going to mention within this podcast are Maria Wheatley, Guy Underwood, Hamish Miller, and uh, Hugh Newman, and uh, an American dowser called Sig Longgreen. Sorry, Longgreen. <laughs> It was through Maria Wheatley's work and research that I became aware of uh, Sig Longgreen, who's an American dowser, and he came up with an interesting categorization for lay specifically. Uh, one of the first categorizations he had were called T-lines or T-lays, and they were topographical lays. And all these involved where well, there's no energy involved, nothing aerial energy, no earth energy. They're purely just alignments of sacred sites such as standing stones or mounds etc there was no energy involved at all uh, his second classification we were called energy lays or e-lays and these were actually transmitting energy so these were aerial energies or underground energies and they transmitted between stones mounds etc and other kind of sacred sites and the third classification he had astrological lays or a-lays and these aligned to astrological events such as solstice beltane and the very fourth one the final one the big one was the tae lays and this was the whole shebang this was topographical this is astrological and also energy based as well and these are areas quite sacred special areas such as avebury in wiltshire these these are you know hold that classification but a lot of the dowsers and and the people that are understanding these energies are looking at it with a female and male expression you know seeing these two powerful currents you know yin and yang which just starts to fuse some of the western traditions with eastern mysticism as well and the the feng shui masters called this lung mai which is drag dragon's breath and in china buildings were actually built along dragon lines to sort of maintain that harmony within the buildings themselves and the same sort of female and male expression yin and yang dragon lines within the UK and other countries, it can it coil around these adjacent ley lines, around these sacred sites. And researchers Hamish Miller and Paul Broadhurst in the 1980s were coined as being the main discoverers of this, this positive male yang energy line called the Michael line and the female yin Mary negative line, which both of them cross the south of England and ends up on the Norfolk coast. And it's one of the most famous ley lines within the United Kingdom and links up a lot of the sacred sites, you know, such as Avebury and Stonehenge, etc. As these female and male lines sort of dance around the landscape, sometimes they can be quite far apart. But when they cross and when they intersect, that's when something quite magical has happened and it's quite a powerful spot. And that's, again, places like Avebury, this is where the convergence of those two male and female expressions come together. I know I described as the male and female expression as being, you know, potentially negative or positive. That's not meant in a disparaging way or a negative way, but there are, you know, potential ley lines or energy lines that are harmful, harmful to the human body or cause disease. And they can be described as negative or positive, but it's not anything to do with the, the male or female expression. It's just potentially maybe down to the health of it is something interacting with it artificially that's actually creating this disease and again within the west we've only been really aware 
consciously, well, in terms of the mainstream, you know, normal people being aware of these energy lines and, and this whole system for the last hundred years. Um, so it's hard to kind of gauge exactly what's come before, but how much of modern technology in terms of electrification, radio waves, microwave, you know, wave, uh, Wi-Fi, all of these things, how much is that contributing to ill health of some of these energy lines? Is, is there an artificial component to this? It's kind of creating this sickness or do you get ley lines that are sick naturally, you know, that are negative, that cause ill health naturally for some particular reason due to the geopathic stress emanating from underneath, underneath the earth? And I can only really talk about my own experience and not saying this is, this is correct or not in terms of the information I'm about to talk about. But it was during that period of time, sort of during all the government lockdowns when there's very little to do in terms of like being able to meet people inside um, so I spent a lot of time in the South Downs just, you know, walking because it, it was a brilliant summer as well that they, that year as well. Really warm and hot, brilliant weather. Um, so I spent a lot of happy times just exploring the landscape. And one of those adventures, it took me to the Longman of Wilmington, which is, again, on the South Downs, you know, probably only about half an hour, three quarters of an hour's drive away, away from Brighton at the time. And the Longman of Wilmington is this it's a huge figure that's been carved into the side of the hill and he exposes the white chalk underneath uh, now it's uh, it's been sort of in terms of the modern times it's been manipulated a little bit they, i seem to remember they have like a bit of white breeze block or some kind of tile there now over some of the white bits um but yeah it's been there for a very long time again it's probably hard to date exactly when but I was very aware on the back of the hill, the, the, the actual long man himself on the side of the hill. But if you go right to the top, to the peak of the hill itself, there's a huge earthworks there. There's a tumulus, there's a long barrow, round barrow. So there's a lot of sacred activity going on there. And as I've mentioned before, getting conspiratorial, there is an underground waterworks there as well, which always seems to, to factor in some of these sacred sites. I don't know why, maybe I'm just looking too deeply into the subject but there always seems to be underground waterworks there and someone quite hilariously graffitied on the side of the building illuminati base or something you know just playing into that idea but it wasn't until later when i read in about this whole area that actually there was a ley line i did feel it and i did think about it at the time because there's a you know immediate alignment between these sacred areas in terms of the long round barrow and and the on the actual kind of figure itself but there's a, a larger alignment which links up a benedictine priory and two churches saint mary and also saint peter's now there are many theories about who the long man is it could be linked to giants as various stories and myths to do with giants around that particular area other people have spoken about beowulf thor apollo um but I prefer to go with the Alfred Watkins, you know, the guy who originally discovered this ley-lined activity within the landscape. He perceived the long man of Wilmington being a dogman, and the dogman is holding sighting staves. And this is a sort of a very ancient form of ley-line hunter, essentially. And these staves were used, they were his tools of divination, essentially. Now, all of these sites are supposed to be you know, pre-Roman and there is what they, a lot of the mainstream archaeology sort of says it's a, a Roman road. But as I've mentioned before, like in Chester where I am at the moment, they have a lot of Roman roads, but people have said 
you know, maybe the Romans were just literally copying the roads that were already there that were put in by civilizations before them. Um, so, yeah, again, maybe this road stretches far back beyond Roman times, you know, particularly with all these ancient sites scattered around the landscape itself. But anyway, that the day that I went there for the first time, it was a glorious, sunny, sunny day, like really hot and warm. And I spent a lot of time just like hanging around, just looking around, looking at the view. And then I realized I started to feel quite sick. Like I was lying on the, on the ground. I really started to feel a little bit ill, a bit queasy. And I was like, that's strange, because initially I had a real kind of relaxed feeling about that area. And then I just started to sort of look around. And I noticed actually direct, directly in the same line of sight, there was a massive, there was a huge aerial um, tower in the distance, right on the same line. And then I just started to theorize later, is this kind of interference, this artificial f- interference, you know, maybe creating that disease within that energy line itself? And then you can start to ponder, you know, was that? randomly placed there you know unconsciously it was just okay was this a good place to put a radar area or is there something more nefarious something more negative that they actually knew what they were doing these are just my own theories and experiences and i'm not saying they're true totally but just yeah it's an interesting thing to think about considering in terms of the health of ley lines and how it affects human body and 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 uh, you know what the effect i was having in that experience and again, referring back to another personal experience, as I've mentioned before, I was living in a village, Ditchling, which is slightly outside of Brighton, it has its own little church based on a mound. There seems to be a series of churches all in a line, if you look on the map. And um, initially I was living in a, in a flat, right, there's a small roundabout in this, in this village. And I was living in a flat uh, just right on the corner. And... Um, I loved it there. I was really, really settled. And then unfortunately, the guy actually owned the place, decided he wanted to sell, so I had to move out. And then luckily, just up the road, there was an apartment, a flat, just a few doors up. And I thought, this is, this is synchronistic. This is amazing. It's, just, it's the same price and means I don't have to move my stuff too far away. And I'm really liking living in Ditchling as well. So I was, I was really happy to move there. And then I moved in. And again, I was you know, struggling with my health at the time. And I moved into this new place and, you know, found it a lot colder than the previous place, you know, which is fine. I can, I can kind of deal with that. But I was, while I was there, I was really feeling the energy and bearing in mind that this, this new place I've moved into is directly behind the church. And I was a little bit concerned the fact that this church has a very, very old graveyard as well in the sort of the, the periphery of the church. And I was aware that the energy coming from the cemetery is not particularly great. But, you know, I thought maybe the stars were aligned and this flat was meant for me, so maybe it's going to be fine. So that's kind of why I moved in. And I could really feel the energy of this place in my body itself. And initially, I thought it was positive. But as the months kind of went on, I started to understand that this actually was negatively affecting my health and my healing journey was being suppressed quite significantly. It was also just draining me full of energy as well. I just had zero energy. And so it was only till I left there to sort of move in with some family to kind of continue on healing that I realised actually how much of this flat had actually been draining my energy. And I, I guess it's because it's right on this energy line and it's behind the cemetery and all of these factors are really affecting me quite badly. So I've now had to sort of move all my stuff out of that place, move it into storage until I'm prop- properly better again, you know, completely healed. So there's another personal experience. 
Um, you know, there was no real artificialness involved. Again, I'll highlight the fact there's a on that same line that links up the church, which is called St. Margaret's Church, to I think it's Kima Kima Church. Uh, in between both of them, right on the line, there's another underground water treatment facility. Again, maybe I'm just looking into it too much, but I don't know whether that's affected in some way. But you know, that's there. But I actually do put maybe this, you know, the, the unhealthiness of it down to potentially the cemetery that was there that wasn't helping. And um, but maybe there are other factors at play that I don't really understand. But I mean, I mentioned it previously before, but a lot of these churches are all built on mounds, so they have the propensity to have been really quite early sacred places for sun worship, you know, potentially. And there are remnants of, you know, standing stones around a lot of these sites as well denoting potentially that there were standing stones there for ceremony or other area, you know, for ceremony or other spiritual happenings, whatever they may, may be of that particular time. Actually, I just remembered in terms of that first apartment, I did really like living there. And, you know, both of them, I really like living there. They're both really lovely places. But the second place, obviously, there was something going on in terms of the energy lines or the, the energy coming from the cemetery that's actually causing ill health for me but the first one it was only recently i had like an epiphany but I, although it was good it was a great place to live it was a little bit noisy because it was on the main through fair for the village and it was quite a, a lot of traffic noise from the bedroom window so that that was a kind of downside um, and i did have problems sleeping there i would actually have quite bad dreams there sometimes and wake up in a real panic real, real terror um, and this might not be part of your belief system but i had I got some, some, some spiritual healing from someone. She was saying that, you, you know, you were being sort of messed around in your sleep. This is why this was going on. This is a lot of spiritual or spirit activity was going on in this building that was causing you problems. And actually looking back, I was like, yeah, because the only way I could get a good night's sleep, I would actually have to sort of cleanse the area. I'd have loads of little bags. You know, you get those seal up sandwich bags. I'd fill it with a cup of um, Himalayan salt. I would basically have two under my pillow and then salt bags all around my bed underneath the duvet. And this was literally the only way I'd get a night's sleep. So whatever I was doing, it was obviously then helping to protect me through the night. So looking back, it wasn't the best place. I think obviously that village is very old and particularly there's a lot of sort of dead people buried there due to various cemeteries being around. So yeah, even though it's a dichotomy, isn't it? Because there was great beneficial energies there and it was in the countryside and it was you know, it's such a beautiful spot, but you know, there is, there was a downside to it definitely, which now again, with hindsight, I, I kind of see. So the message is kids don't live behind the cemetery to make your life easier. Yeah. I think interestingly, you get a lot of those films, particularly in America, they talk about old Indian burial grounds. And obviously there's something in that, you know, living close to sort of dead bodies is not, is not the greatest. And I always find that weird about churches, actually, just talking about it. Just the fact that, you know, you've got this sacred spot and then you just put loads of dead people in the ground. And then particularly the cathedrals, there's just dead people everywhere. There's dead people in the floor. There's dead people in the walls. It's like literally a building covered in dead people. Um, so, yeah, I can understand they want to be close to God and that's the whole idea behind it. But, in terms of the energies being beneficial, it kind of denigrates any 
positive nature, I, I would guess, of being in that particular building if you've got that kind of level of death energy floating around. Maybe that's my own personal opinion, just kind of could be totally wrong about that. But yeah, that's just, just my opinion. But I mean, I did say that, you know, some dowsers perceive certain ley lines being negative or positive. Um, there, are, there is research apparently that in the 1970s they tried to grow mustard seed. They, they'd grow a certain amount of mustard seed on a ley line and they'd look grow other mustard seed outside of a ley line. And it appeared that the seed germinated or, and their growth was restricted, you know, the ones that are actually planted on the ley line. So it wasn't that great for them. So, you know, could this then be scaled up? You know, the idea of living close to a ley line, is that good? And you can look at places, you know, perceived as vortexes where you have various energy lines converging, such as Aysbury, Glastonbury, or the US listeners, you know, Sedona, really powerful energetic places. And some people say you shouldn't really live there. Again, these are sacred places. You go there for ceremony, you get your benefits, then you kind of leave. But I've heard a lot of stories, particularly with Glastonbury and Avebury, of people's lives just falling apart, them just being kicked out of the area. You know, it's just too much. And it can create problems for people mentally. So they start to then lean towards addictions and alcoholism. So there's a real, even though these places are quite, energetic that there's so much light there it also seems to attract a lot of darkness as well weirdly and the same you know could be said for brighton as well i mean exactly the same is that real creativity and spirit and energy about the place but it does have a very dark underbelly to it as well but going back to the old european traditions a lot of the time when people were building houses, apparently they would see where, you know, particularly in rural areas, they would see where sheep were laying at night. And that could indicate a good place to, to build your house because it's free from geopathic stress because there's an innate mechanism within these animals that kind of dictates where they, you know, lie down. So they know it's not going to cause them harm if they stay there too long. So if they're sleeping there at night, then it's a good indication that that place is a good place to build. And more specifically, not just building the entire building, but actually where you should place your prospective bedroom as well. Because if a sheep's been sleeping there or a horse has been sleeping there, then it could be, again, an indication of a really good energy area to be. But in terms of that you know, negative or positive effect of the ley lines on the human body, it can, it can change. It's in constant flux. And these energy places are really affected by various like forces such as the full moon sunspots like sun activity this this creates more intensification within these energetic areas certain weather activity can also trigger certain energies within the lines themselves in terms of my own personal experience i guess in terms of the earth energies i've only been really absorbing and reading about this subject probably over these last i don't know not long sort of five six years maybe so not a long period of time, but I have been aware of like even before that and at very energetic places. And looking back, one of my first experiences with this idea of energy lines, not really being consciously, could never really describe or understand what was going on. But I remember the very, very first time I went to Glastonbury and it was actually for the music festival, the Glastonbury Music Festival, massive event. And I went when I was about 17 and it was where various people from the art college I was at at the time. And we drove down in my car and 
we were able to actually buy a ticket for HMV, this music shop, over the counter for about 60 or 70 quid. And you, now you could never do that. I mean, the tickets cost hundreds of pounds and you have to book like months and months in advance. It's all done on the internet and they sell out so quickly. But back then it was a lot easier to kind of get in. Anyway, it's probably one of the first ever excursions I'd, I'd been on with friends without, you know, family, essentially. So we drove down to, to Glastonbury. I remember walking around just, just feeling a real palpable energy vibration. And at the time, I knew nothing about the energetic, you know, areas of Glastonbury. I knew nothing about that in terms of like megaliths and ley lines. It just didn't even enter my consciousness at all, but I was very aware of the energy. I can still feel it. I can still remember that moment. But obviously over the years, especially recent years, I've become more spiritual and more conspiratorial. So I kind of know more about these things. And so yeah, okay, I'm able to experience more in Brighton and it took me to places because I started to have an understanding of this and start, I wanted to learn doubting, went to places like Wiltshire and I started to have more experiences. And then returning to Glastonbury, because before I'd never really been to Glastonbury, the town itself, it'd always just been to the music festival. But going to Glastonbury itself, the times I've been there, my heart has just sung. It's just really palpable, really visceral experience. And in terms of like an experience like beyond this country, the United States, again, I've mentioned it many times before, I've been to California quite a number of times. I remember I'd flown in, and then we were staying, we were going to visit family. I was, I'd gone with my family as well. We were staying in a motel quite close to LAX, the airport. And um, it was just, you know, cheap hotel. It was nice. It was fine. We stayed the night there. And the idea was then to drive to see family in Palm Springs. And I remember I was just doing my spiritual practice in the morning the next day. And just, I could feel, I mean, this area was just quite run down, very industrial looking, not particularly attractive, but I could just feel the energy pulsating from the land as I was meditating. I was doing various key going exercise. It was really, really powerful. I always remember it. And I have no idea what was creating that powerful energy experience in this motel in California. I guess I know there's a lot of underground water under the desert, vast areas of water, which some people perceive as being what's called yin water, spring water highly oxygenated water, very, very different to rainwater. So maybe this is what's affecting it. But anyway, this kind of brings us on to the next topic of geopathic stress and earth energies of in terms of how water affects this. Now, again, this tends to be a subjective thing. Um, I was taught by Maria Reed and she's a really big advocate for having two types of water. You have a male expression, you have a female expression, the male being the yang and the, the female being the yin. And for the yang, that would be rainwater. And rainwater could have fallen thousands of years ago. So the time scale is, is kind of could be anything. It could be thousands of years again, or it could be as recent as today. That's how they define yang water. But then you get the female expression, which is yin. And some people call actually call this primary water. And this gets into a lot of interesting research. There's a lady called Deborah Tavares, and she speaks a lot about this. And she perceives this yin water, this very healing water, um, that's very abundant, has been hidden from humanity. We, we all talked about scarcity. It's a scarcity of resources. You know, maybe the opposite is completely true. Maybe it was just, just total abundance. And this idea that actually water is actually created in the Earth's crust. You know, it's not like a finite research. It's just constantly there. 
and humanity could tap into this at any time. You know, it's a real abundance of water just underneath the ground. You just need to know where to look. And there's no need to drink river water or processing sewage water or like desalinating seawater. Like there's really, really powerful spiritual water underneath, you know, where you stand on this land, yin water, primary water. It's abundant everywhere. And this primary spiritual, highly energized female water, you know, is that what people are interacting with at holy healing, you know, water wells at these holy sites where you get these healing waters? Is, it, is this what this yin water is? Now I'm going to start bringing in a, more of Maria Wheatley's work in, and she's really into the idea of the yin and the yang water. And she speaks a lot about geospot, and these are really like positive energies, really healing to the human body, what are called geospirals or blind springs. Apparently in America, they call them water domes, but it creates this very harmonic surface pattern on the earth, like a spiral. This is due to high pressure. You know, the water just can't permeate through rock strata. It's just impermeable. So it just domes up and starts to escape through various fissures within the, within the landscape itself. And this creates this energetic pattern. I don't know how, but apparently according to her, it creates this energetic pattern. It's a geospiral. I mean, she claims that Stonehenge on the altar stone underneath, there's this seven coil spiral, this geospiral is found directly underneath the stone. And, you know, the same mechanism can be found at other stone circles, you know, across the world, long barrels, dolmens, cairns, Irish towers. I spoke about that recently as well. Uh, pyramids, medicine wheels. Also, you, you get solitary stones a lot in Scotland. And she claims that this marks the spot of some of these blind springs themselves. It's, it marks this really energetic, really healing place to be. Maria also mentions that a lot of these geospirals can be found in a lot of European churches and cathedrals. It is actually set underneath the altar. That's the specific place where these geospirals are found and is probably why the churches and cathedrals are actually positioned there because, you know, again, these were ancient sacred sites that span way before Christianity. But this healing spring water, this yin water, can be found really around the UK. And a lot of the times it's been forgotten about, you know, and this is the same around the world. This primary water, this miracle healing water can be found in countries like France, Mexico, Germany and India. And what happens, you get large numbers of people flocking to these places for healing, for spiritual advancement. In terms of the science and the scientific understanding, like how people, you know, trying to explain some of these ideas of like healing and why, what happens at these places with these waters. Some people have theorized it actually has dissolved hydrogen gas within the water itself. And it's either the molecular hydrogen reacts due to the alkali earth metals and this combination kind of creating that hydrogen gas, or it's actually from gas produced from bacteria or either algae as well. Some of the famous locations around the world for these healing waters, there's one at Lourdes in, in France, a fountain there was discovered in 1958 by a 14-year-old girl called Bernadette. And she had a vision. She had a vision of, of Mother Mary who appeared in a shallow cave. And the vision told her that a church should be built on this space in its position and people will visit to heal at these sacred waters, these sacred wells. And that apparently is what happened. You know, this church was built and it became this sacred site, this sacred area of spring water, and people had these miraculous healings, these, these cures. 
moving on to another location, Nordeno Fountain in Germany, and this is placed 100 kilometers east of, of Dusseldorf. And again, it's pure waters, yin water, healing waters, discovered in a cave, which is apparently a disused slate mine. And an old woman who was, who was blind in one eye just covered her, her eye with this water, and then miraculously she regained sight. And so this created this whole culture of people again visiting this fountain to get healing and it apparently healed various ailments an ex-miner you know healed his back problems there's a whole list of them this is just a couple of sacred places obviously the whole world scattered with stories like this so it's, it's not unique to these european countries so yeah i mean there's obviously evidence there there's situations there of people healing through these waters for some reason but these are the positive stories, you know, these are the miraculous healings through these, this female expression of the waters, which is yin water. What about the negative? And this all then surrounds the idea of yang water, the male expression of water. And again, this is water that has fallen, you know, 100 years ago, thousands of years ago, or as recent as today. So, broad time span. Um, but a dowser called Alf Riggs, um, he did a lot of discovery and research into this particular area and looked into the causes of ME. And he found a lot of the negative health implications came from this underground yang male expression water. I will link uh, some of this research in the description so you can kind of read deeper into it because it is, it is quite technical and quite scientific. So yeah, I'll leave you to do that on your own time. Further research into this area was looked at by Guy Underwood, and he was a British geophysicist and also dowser. And he discovered it was his idea that underground streams that actually cross at right angles can produce severe geopathic stress, severe ill health, and long-term exposure can create serious illness. And even short-term can cause like things like depression and just really, really low mood. In terms of the shape and the form of these energies that are creating this geopathic stress that stems from this underground water, you know, it creates this reversed circle here you described, like an outward spiral. And interestingly, there's a correlation between some of our ancestors. That outward spiral actually represented a lack of spiritual protection. So there was a strange correlation between the two. And according to Maria Wheatley, some of the things she said, that actually places of execution were actually situated above some of these places of geopathic stress. You know, the gallows in Tower Hill, London, she claims is actually placed above this area of geopathic stress and also what are called blind houses, which I'd never heard of before, but they were essentially for condemned people or prisoners. And again, they were, they, they were essentially buildings with no real windows there at all. It was just on purpose there to create as much disease and as much depression and, and ill health as possible because they were for these condemned people, these prisoners as part of their, their punishment. And, but they were placed structurally right above these very toxic positions where you had this very toxic energy emanating from underneath due to the geopathic stress, again, from the yang water itself. When you look into a lot of the research to do with geopathic stress, there's a hell of a lot of information coming from places, you know, countries like Germany and Russia. You know, they seem to have a really open mind to these, these concepts in terms of geopathic stress and earth energies and how it affects the human body. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, um, in South Germany in the 1930s, the grandfather, the proposed grandfather of a geopathic stress, Baron Gustav von Pohl, 
again, sorry if I if I uh, messed that name up, but he located around about 54 homes where people had actually died of cancer in this particular town. And he was able to map the sites and he could map the de detrimental energies within the landscape and that correlated with some of the homes of these people that actually died of cancer. And even more fascinating, he was able to pinpoint the real you know, points of extreme geopathic stress and where it located with these people's bedrooms. And that actually decided he was able to then pinpoint where the cancer was in the body due to where their bed was placed within the landscape. He actually published a book of his findings. I couldn't seem to find it. It's quite an old one, I think. It's called the, the Radiation, the Causative Factor in Disease and Cancer. So you maybe you can have better look at finding it, but he wrote a lot of his research within that book itself. Then there's another academic as well, Swiss Dr. Hans Jenny. We've mentioned her before. Um, she was the academic who discovered cymatics, you know, that the formation of sound when you, you physically vibrate sand on this vibrating plate, it reorganizes into, into these beautiful patterns. Anyway, but Dr. Hans Jenny, as well as the cymatics, she did an experiment over a span of about 12 years involving 24,000 mice. And uh, she tested a radiation zone and she would try and place these mice as, of this radiation zone. And she'd notice they'd want to flee. They'd want to run away from this area. They had this innate ability within their body to, to feel the disease and to obviously just try and get as far away from it as possible. But she made them for forcefully to live within this radiation zone. And what she discovered, it created lower birth rates and also higher infant mortality across the mice over the various generations. It was a real, real measurable effect. Then again, back in Germany in the 1960s, Heidelberg University and Technical University in Munich com did a comparative study of a house in Necker Valley. And apparently this house had three generations who had all died of stomach cancer. And they brought along with them these academics, various instruments, and were able to measure the intersection of an underground watercourse and a geological fracture underneath the ground. And they actually tested mice in wooden cages over this area of geopathic stress that was underneath the house. And they found that the mice became a lot more restless, a lot more violent. Their, their behavior was really deeply affected. I mean, all of this begs the question, you know, what is going on, you know, scientifically? And apparently some physicists, engineers have, have theorized that neutron radiation, which is generated deep within the earth, rises up and interacts with the earth's magnetic field. So, yeah, maybe this is kind of part of what's causing this disease, this, this geopathic stress. Moving over to Russia, some of the scientists there from the Institute of Hygiene and Occupational Disease they talked about there was a dangerous presence of microwave radiation coming from some of these underground watercourses. And also they claim that some of the sites show ionization changes, acoustic anomalies and gamma radiation. And this all, according to them, decreases the geomagnetic field intensity. What can make this problem even worse when you have this junction of water veins? A serious problem can be created when this energy is then emanating through radioactive rock, you know, like granite. And they were able to use really super sensitive uh, measuring devices to, to measure this radiation right above the water veins in the earth. Because what caught my eye about some of this research, especially in terms of like affecting, you know, the geomagnetic field and you know, the geomagnetic field 
covers the entire Earth and it protects us from cosmic energies. Now, there's a correlation between some of these, um, you know, geopathic stresses and energy lines with high strangeness, you know, like ghost activities, etc. And um, what I find really interesting is that, again, with this reduction of the geomagnetic field, some people have theorized that some of these places like Skinwalker Ranch or other areas where you get a lot of high strangeness in terms of UFO activity and, you know, what they deem as skinwalkers, you know, these weird interdimensional entities which are able to phase in and out of reality, these dog men with bright red eyes and, you know, a whole host of really strange activity. And uh, I was listening to uh, a talk by a researcher called Linda Moulton Howe. She's done a lot of research into high strangeness. And she was talking to apparently an insider. They were discussing how areas where it has really low destabilized magnetic fields, geomagnetic fields, where you get this high strangeness. So it kind of correlates just between all these these things in terms of like geopathic stress and the sort of the 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 magnetic field being affected, and also this link to the high strangeness aspect as well. Another researcher, again European, uh, this is before World War Two, called Pierre Cody. He was a French engineer, and he found a link between ionizing radiation and cancer, and was actually able to measure it using an electrometer. And he found regular disturbances of energy underneath beds of 7,000 cancer sufferers. And he found radiation levels were 10 times higher than normal beds. So this is why it's kind of creating that disease, creating that cancer within the human body. And he also found it doesn't matter that you're maybe sleeping on the ground floor. This energy rises up at a great height. So you can be on the first or second floor and you're still getting a real hit of quite negative energy to your body. So what are the solutions to this? I and mean, obviously this is a regular thing. doesn't matter where you are. You know, there is geopathic stress and it causes people disease. It causes cancer. It causes a whole host of other of conditions as well. Um, again, I've mentioned before, there's a lady called Judy Jack. I've been quite interested in. I bought various, I haven't read all of them yet, but she's got a lot of books to do with geopathic stress and earth energies in the human body. And she was just relaying, I just dipped into one of her books, you know, for the, purpose of this podcast and she was talking about how she had a house and she started to understand that she had quite severely bad geopathic stress coming from underground water and her friend gave her a solution to how to mitigate this and she advised to bury calcium ascorbate in a jar and bury it on the line of the water course itself and Judy Jacker claims that it rectified the problem she found that a couple of years later she had to dig it up and she noticed that this it's apparently it's like basically vitamin C, but this was able to mitigate some of the harmful energies, but she had to replenish it, had to replace it, to put more of this calcium back into the jar and then bury it in the ground again. According to her, it worked. I've no idea if it does, but this is what she claimed. But in more of a technical way, scientific way, a mainstream way approach to this, like how do you mitigate against some of this geopathic stress? A German professor, K.E. Loltz, and he came from a technical university and he wrote a book called Want to Live Healthily. Again, I couldn't really find this book, but apparently he wrote it. Maybe it was quite a while ago. But he was able to measure the student's skin resistance when they stood over some of this unhealthy underground water. And again, this just indicated disturbances in their body, some of this ill health that it was creating. So his solution, he he developed, he created what was called an interference doppler transmitter. I hope I said that right. 
but he would use it over such as some of these geopathic stresses, these sites. And according to him, it overrides this microwave radiation. He saw it as microwave radiation. That was what was creating these cancers, this disease. And this device kind of mitigated this, these effects and reestablished a normal background radiation within the field of the area. But on the flip side, a lot of these energies we've been discussing have an obvious effect on the human body negatively. But there are certain animals that seem to seek out these, these energies that they seem to thrive in. This is only through my reading that people are saying that ants are attracted by these energies. They like to build their nests in these negative areas. Whereas, again, animals like sheep, dogs, goats, cows, they will move away from these harmful areas. They seem to, you know, be repelled by them. Again, household cats, as I mentioned earlier, they seem to seek them out. They seem to like to sleep in these areas. And it's not just animals. It can be plants. It can be trees as well that are attracted by certain energies in the Northern Hemisphere. People have said deciduous trees such as oak and elm can be found more over geopathic stress like watercourses. But in comparison on the flip side, Beaches and birch, they'll, they'll stay away from these geopathic stresses. I've just explored quite a lot of the European understanding. Again, this is still quite recent history as we've kind of un, un, uncovered some of this information. It's all quite new. Um, but for the Chinese, this is kind of old news. and They've had an understanding of this for a very, very long time. And I discovered this website called landandspirit.net. And um, it's from this couple that seem to live in, in Sussex as well in Forest Row. And um, they seem to have a lot of information to do with geopathic stress. So I'd be quite interested to kind of learn more about them. Um, but they have a, an article on their website and it's called Background to Geopathic Stress, the History of Geopathic Stress Research. They have sizable chunks of information to do with um, geopathic stress and the Chinese traditions. And so I'm going to read a few extracts from their website. The article starts from the Chinese. And I'm sorry in advance, I'm going to butcher some of these names. Uh, but it starts Chinese Emperor Chao An Yu, 2205 to 2197 BC, so very long time ago, proclaimed an edict affected to this day, which reads, No dwelling shall be built until the earth diviners have confirmed the intended building site to be free of earth demons. So I guess they're referring to geopathic stress. Then another extract, um, it goes Chen Su Zhao, again, sorry for the pronunciation, <laughs> butchering these names, um, 1332 AD. In the subterranean regions, there are alternate layers of earth and rock and flowing spring waters. These strata rest upon thousands of vapours, which are distributed in tens of thousands of branches, veins and thread-like openings. The body of the earth is like that of a human being, ordinary people not being able to see the veins and vessels, which are disposed in order within the body of man. Think that is no more than a lump of solid flesh. Likewise, not being able to see the veins and vessels which are disposed in order under the ground, they think that the earth is just a homogeneous mass. I'll of course link this article in the description. There's more to it. I'm just reading sort of particular extracts. And there's another aspect. Um, Christopher Bird, the Divining Hand, 1979. It was believed by the ancient Chinese that water flowed in subterranean courses called veins of the dragon, or Lung Mai. Passing to and fro out of sight, the hidden veins of water served like the bloodstream of animals to remove impurities from the body of the earth and to deposit curative minerals within it. 
the Earth's circulatory system was matched by un ever undulating network of currents in the atmosphere. The currents running through the Mai or channels carried the Q or vapors. I said Q there, but I actually meant key. So obviously that's similar to the energy of prana, you know, the same thing. So there you go. I mean, it's a really good encapsulation. I think that the Chinese had a really deep understanding to geopathic stress, and it correlates a lot with what European, you know, researchers have been looking into as well. So yeah, that's, you know, we've kind of covered ley lines like earth energies, um, and then the water aspect as well, you know, the geopathic stress that's created upon the, the water, whether it be male or female, and the healing properties of that water as well. But there's another aspect in terms of like what's called the energy grid, which is similar to a ley line, I guess, in a way, but it's also very, very different. It seems to sort of span the landscape, but it seems it's strange. These are, these grids always seem a little bit more artificial to me. But these energy grids cover the planet from pole to pole, and there's a variety of different ones, and there's a lot which have been discovered. Some of the, the first ones that were kind of popularised was one that was discovered by Dr. Ernest Hartman. Uh, the second one's quite well known from Dr. Manfred Curry. And another one, more recent one, is called the Benker Grid. And they are all like walls of geopathic energy emanating from deep underground and rising up into the sky. So they're quite, you know, sizable. And again, there's a, there's a certain duality dichotomy with these lines because depending where you are, some can be okay for the health, but then others can be actually, you know, really stressful to the, the human body and cause a lot of illness and disease as well. So, yeah, again, it's a kind of yin and yang thing. So let's kick off with the Hartman grid, which was discovered in the 1950s by Dr. Hartman. And the reason he discovered this, he was actually taking blood samples, blood tests uh, for sedimentation. And he found that it varied depending on where the blood samples were actually taken in terms of where the patient was physically stood, stood within a particular room, within a physical space. And he discovered it could either be the patient could be sort of positioned on a positive or negative element of, of the grid, of the Hartman grid. And this would affect the sedimentation rate within the blood test itself. It could either increase or decrease the sedimentation. And sedimentation essentially is the immune response to inflammation. So obviously the grid in some way, shape or form was eliciting a type of immune response depending where you actually stood within the grid itself. After further investigations and study, uh, he was able to decipher that actually the, the grid was aligned to north, south and east, west, and the lines tended to be 10 centimetres wide. Uh, some people actually think they have a cosmic origin, like the radiation coming from the skies. That may or not be true, but definitely the grid itself intensifies and alters due to the sun's activity and also the weather as well can also affect the, the Hartman grid itself. For the majority, most of the, the Hartman grid is actually quite harmless. Um, but there are particular areas like crossing points that can intensify the harmful nature to people's health. Um, it's been proposed that every tenth line, a double negative line, uh, occurs, and this can be injurious to health, you know, to humans essentially. So that's the Hartman grid. Uh, also, in the 1950s, they discovered the Corina. It's quite interesting how they're sort of discovering all these grids all in the same decade. Uh, yeah, but this was discovered by two people, Dr. Manfred Curry and a Dr. Whitman. Seems that Dr. Curry got all the glory on this one. Um, but yeah, people propose this grid is actually terrestrial in origin. 
and theorized that it is actually stemming from the core magma, the radiations of the earth and the rotation of the magnetic field is actually causing this grid. Uh, the grid is at, itself is actually apparently set at 45 degrees west of north and tends to be around about 13 to 14 centimetres in width. And the actual dimension themselves can actually vary depending on what latitude you are in, you know, within the planet itself. So that does fluctuate on occasion. Again, these grids can cause health issues. The positive line crosses another positive line every seven metres. And this can create, you know, disease disharmony within the human body itself. So it's always best to avoid those particular crossing points again. But if we look to mainstream science, whether there's any kind of validation for these particular grids, you know, unsurprisingly, not really. There's no real validation. But uh, I did find a snippet of information, apparently a telecommunications expert uh, called Hans Gertz, I think, was able to record some of these grids. And he used a low frequency electromagnetic energy experiment to, you know, decipher some of these fields. So there is some data out there to kind of uh, correlate that these grids exist. And talking about the Hartman grid and the Curry net themselves together, both of these types of grids are intensified by the sun's activity and the weather. But apparently it's only the Hartman grid that is actually affected by the moon. So the Curry net remains unaffected by it. I guess that's due to the fact that maybe a lot of the energy is created from the telluric currents from the earth itself. As I alluded to before, I do find these, these grids strange just because of the, the very straight like nature of them. Um, and if you look at nature, it always in, tends to have a very sort of curved form, very symmetrical form, but it's very, very rare that you get anything straight lined like this. Um, and if you're looking at ley lines, even though on a map from a distance, they look very, very straight. But in reality, when you're actually on the ground, they, you know, they tend to meander. They sort of twist and shape around the landscape. So there's, they're not particularly straight in themselves. So, yeah, I do find these grid patterns interesting for that. The fact that they do feel quite artificial. Again, I could be completely wrong, but it's just, you know, something I've been thinking about recently. And it's just the accuracy of these measurements. You know, they obviously vary strictly at very set distances in terms of the widths, these grids. So I find that quite puzzling as well. So, yeah. I mean, I've actually implemented this within my own life. I've, you know, there's been periods when I've had problems of sleep and it can be like a myriad of things. It can be something going on in your body, obviously, um, you know, your general lifestyle, how you eat, how you drink, etc. These can all affect it. Um, but a big, as big aspect to it as well would be the energy lines in terms of where you're sleeping within your bedroom. And I have got my dowsing rods out numerous occasions because I've had problems sleeping. I find myself waking up at random times in the morning. And so I found it pretty helpful getting my dowsing rods out, finding where these uh, curry lines are and the, the Hartman grids are, and then trying to adjust my bed and my sleeping position accordingly, just so I'm not, my you know, main torso is not kind of lying among these lines. I mean, let's be honest, the kind of the widths of the lines are actually quite short. So inevitably your bed is going to be lying on these lines. There's no way you can avoid that. But if you have a, a preferred sleeping position, then it's good to try and sort of position the bed so it is you're sleeping in between these lines. You're not directly on one of these, these grid patterns. And what I found quite interesting, it make, makes sense to me, people have said that your body will naturally shift away from these lines when you're sleeping. So if you do have a favorite side of the bed, uh, this could denote that you actually your, your body's avoiding naturally some of these grid lines just so 
you don't get disease, you don't get disharmony in your body itself. And it's not just where you sleep, obviously where you sleep, depending on how many hours, maybe you sleep six, eight, nine hours. Obviously it's quite a big part of your day in one particular position in your house or, or your flat or, where, or wherever. Um, but it can also be where you work as well. I mean, if you work in an office building, you're probably quite restrictive in terms of like where you can sit. But if you, you're lucky enough to work from home, obviously you can organize your home working environment and you can do the same test with dowsing rods uh, or pendulums as well. You can try and find out where some of these energy lines are and then position your desk and chair accordingly so you're avoiding them. Um, and then in my last flat, again, where I spoke about in terms of, you know, realizing there was quite a, a harmful ley line or some form of energy line going through my house and it was literally going directly through the desk that I was sat at. And so, yeah, again, I used my dowsing rods to really shift. It was a bit of a pain because the living room really wasn't that large. So, um, yeah, this is the challenge sometimes just trying to rearrange your room because obviously you've got a factory in where windows are and doors and, and then also where energy lines are. It can be a little bit of a challenge to kind of find that sweet spot. But, you know, when you do, it definitely helps. Now, in many ways, it is quite a complex world because we've been talking about all these different forms of energy lines, ley lines, different classifications. I mean, I've mentioned, you know, two energy grids, the Curry grid and, and the, the Hartman grid, but there are many more. There's some quite interesting work. Um, I was actually watching a video from Hugh Newman on YouTube, but also he's got a little book that I bought recently. He goes through all the different types of grids and there's quite a lot to kind of get your head around, which is, you know, fascinating. Um, but, you know, that we can simplify things as well. You know, there's a real beneficial effect with us as human beings just being outside in nature and just grounding ourselves. So just taking your shoes and socks off and just literally connecting with the earth itself. And this is another real issue with modern life because, you know, we're coating ourselves in a lot of the time on natural fibres, on natural materials for our shoes and also our clothing as well. And we've severed that connection between the earth's energies and our body and it's it seems very inherent to be healthy we need to be connected every now and again and you know i'm not a saint at this i've been really really bad at this and recently i've made a real concerted effort to ground myself more and i'm just because i'm in my family home at the moment they have a garden so it makes it a lot easier for me to get outside they've got a relatively good sized lawn you know i can go out there with my with my bare feet and just ground into the earth and it really helps. I spend a lot of time on a computer as well. Now you can feel you know, the you know, the electric electromagnetics really builds up within your field and getting outside and putting your feet on the ground just really helps to dissipate some of that energies. And what I've also discovered as well, it just really helps in terms of like the lymphatic system, this is my own findings. I've got no data information to kind of back this up, but you know, it's well known the lymphatic system moves the body's movement which is why it's good to exercise it gets your lymphatics moving and the lymphatics is basically the sewage ways of your body it kind of gets rid of all the gunk all the toxicity and um, but what i actually have found is um that grounding also seems to sort of get that lymphatics moving as well it must be the ele electromagnetic magnetic connection really helps kickstart the, the lymphatics so as well as movements it's the connection with the land is also really important it can be a tricky exercise because, you know, there's been times where I lived in flats where, again, I don't have a garden, so I don't have access to a private nature space. So, yeah, I have to go out into kind of the public nature and, you know, pick your spots and 
obviously sometimes it could be a little embarrassing if you've got your shoes and socks off and you're kind of lent on a tree grounding with your eyes closed you might look a little bit weird um so yeah i've definitely tried to find private spots to kind of do this but the the benefits are so great it's 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 good to do it definitely if you can if you can if you are able to get out there but i mean a lot of the effects many people will know is that it, it's, it reduces inflammation within the body reduces pain helps your sleep definitely has helped my sleep it increases blood viscosity as well and people with what's called electron deficiency it really helps solve that issue as well and apparently what tends to happen within the modern environment due to electromagnetics and this kind of artificial environment where we've wrapped ourselves around it creates quite unhealthy blood it's sort of the blood cells tend to clump together and what they found under a microscope when people have grounded for like 30 40 minutes it really starts to decouple some of these blood cells. they all start to unclump and they start to flow freely so it really helped with the blood flow definitely I'm a huge proponent of the idea of an electric universe and the fact where we're electric beings, everything's connected, you know, the planets, the stars, they've all got these kind of electrical filaments that are kind of passing these energy between each other. And it's the same thing with humanity. If we're basically cutting ourselves off from this natural environment, we're losing that electrical connection to the universe. And it's a massive element, again, to our modern life that we're, we're losing those free electrons, this reservoir, this huge reservoir the free electrons that are animating from the earth, which, which our bodies definitely need. I mean, many of you will know, modern environment is quite perilous now. We have electromagnetic radiation, we have computer, we have mobile phones, or there are mobile phone masters, there are 5G lampposts, there's TVs, there's Wi-Fis, there's, there's Bluetooth, there's power lines. Yeah, I mean, I think over the decades and years, as more and more of these technologies have been introduced, it's definitely been harmful to humanity. But I think bodies are sort of tend to try and shift to kind of deal with the issue and the problem. So, you know, cued off the human body for putting up with it. Uh, but definitely it's quite an unhealthy environment. And hopefully in the future, as we try and understand that these energies are harmful, we can try and mitigate them and start to create technologies that are a lot healthier. There's a book that talks all about this. I haven't actually read it yet, but I do want to read it. Uh, but it's called The Invisible Rainbow, A History of electricity and life and his name is Arthur Fitzberg another name that I've butchered um but yeah I don't know like completely what the book's all about but I definitely know the, the gist of it and it talks about you have these moments in time where these new technologies have kind of come out to humanity such as radio waves or electrical pylons and there is a definite correlation between certain conditions then just suddenly explode through the populations and other factors and other reasons have given for, for these medical conditions and, and the, the, the medical establishment completely ignore the electromagnetic side of things. And, you know, he proposes this, this author that there's so many conditions of disease that are attributed to some of these electromagnetic technologies every time they're released. So in the modern day era, we're, we're living through Bluetooth, we're living through Wi-Fi, 5G, 6G, whatever is to come. These are all like, you know, future concerns, definitely. But all these EMF radiation, these fields, these electromagnetics, they are what are called positively charged. And positively charged sounds like good, but actually it's kind of the opposite. That's detrimental to the body. And what your body should be seek seeking is negative ions. And they come from natural context. They come from nature. They come from beaches. 
loads of negative ions you know at the sea if you go to the beach lots of them really that's why people go there they feel relaxed they feel they feel chilled out because of these negative ions you know these negative ions reduce depression they reduce anxiety and i think they're really spearheading at the moment especially on the south coast there's a real movement for you know wild swimming because i mean salt water water anywhere is a huge cleanser to the field um, and then when you're down on the sea you know just for modern life, the stress of the modern life, it really just rejuvenates people. I mean, grounding again is a, is a, in terms of Western traditions, really has become re-understood now. Like all this information has been rediscovered. And, um, you know, has this been suppressed? It's just purely just been forgot about through amnesia through the years. But I mean, a lot of cultures, I mean, I've spoke about in previous podcasts, potentially, you know, suppressed architecture, harnessing some of these earth energies and using some of these you know, uh, energies, the positive energies that come from the earth to kind of ground the building, but also the humans, they inhabit the building as well, as well. So it kind of maintains that connection with the earth. It doesn't sever it. And also, you know, they didn't have a lot of the plastics we have now, a lot of the, the natural materials they wore on their feet and their, you know, on, on their body tended to sort of maintain that connection. And you can call it earth chi, you know, earth prana, all the, all the kind of the same energy, but just different names for it. Uh, and, you know, the Native Americans, some of the, the sort of various tribes, some of them did actually build various cohabitations, you know, buildings. And they still had that understanding that they needed these buildings to still be accessible to the earth. Like, you know, their bodies always need to be connected to the earth. They had that in, in, inherent understanding. But in terms of some of the Western cultures, figureheads that have really revitalized and started to spur on research into this area of grounding and and the result of it, one of the first people, again, looking at Germany, a naturopath called Adolf Just, and he was apparently a real advocate, advocate for the natural way of living. He proposed that everyone should be eating organic foods. I mean, this is just kind of obvious stuff, but back then it was obviously quite revolutionary. You know, fresh air, sunlight, exercise, as well as walking barefoot in nature. He, he proposed all of these things for natural, healthy living. But after doing a little bit more research into the subject, I actually discovered there's an individual called Clint Oberman, he's an American guy, and he's perceived as being the modern, again, father of grounding. And he had an original career, actually, as a grounding systems expert in the cable television industry in America. And he started to research grounding as a human benefit, as benefit to people's health, because he had an understanding that to get, apparently, a good TV reception, the electrical signal needed to be grounded for it to work. And so he started to theorize, is this the same for humans? In order to increase our, our signal, you know, in, in able to increase our health and humanity, do we actually need to be connected directly to the ground? So it's through his understanding and the benefits of grounding that he founded an organization called Earth FX Inc. And, and it's specifically set up to kind of research and development within the ideas of, of grounding and creating technologies. And he's patented a lot of technologies to do with the system itself. And I mean, I employ it a lot. I've, I've, I've bought myself, you know, numerous grounding bl uh, blankets for my bed, um, and then also grounding pillows and grounding mat for my desk. Um, it's important to say it's not as good as the real thing because you, you buy these grounding blankets and essentially you, 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 you plug it into the, your plug, into your electrical plug and obviously your electrical plugs are grounded um, and then and the feeling is it feels like a little bit artificial it definitely helps your body it definitely helps 
get your body moving while you're sleeping and while I'm using it now. But it's not the same as being outside in nature. I need to point that out. But they are really beneficial, really helpful. But you can get all manner of grounding tools now. You can get grounding shoes and grounding blankets, you know, just lots of things on the market now. But one of the hazards of ground, which I found, because, you know, I'm recording this in February, so it's been raining quite a lot. And with the rain comes various slugs and, and worms. So it just creates a little bit of anxiety because I'm not a big fan of slugs, especially when they start to crawl on your feet. It's not the nicest thing. And what's been interesting about doing this is that I've discovered, because I take my phone out with me, I probably shouldn't, but it's just, I just do it for like 10 minutes in the afternoon and 10 minutes before I go to bed. And um, so I set the timer on my phone. I just find that the slugs really do get attracted by my phone because I put it on the floor and the ground and the grass. And the slugs, I'm always having to pick my phone up very carefully and just to check the underside of it because inevitably every single time there's a slug stuck to it and they tend to avoid my feet. And it isn't very nice when I feel like a little, you know, wiggle underneath my toes from a worm. It's not the greatest. So it does, it's the only thing that kind of puts me off it, um, if, you know, if I'm being honest. But, you know, these are small gripes, you know, the benefits, you know, completely outweigh that. And again, a weird thing that I've noticed, you know, and it's just the strange time dilation when I'm inside, like 10 minutes can feel like 10 minutes, but outside, you know, it goes so quickly. It's really strange. So that's everything I can say about this topic in terms of geobathic stress. I think we've covered, you know, briefly most areas. Um, I think in terms of being able to mitigate how these geopathic stresses, you know, affect your life is quite good. I mean, I've really started to do my own investigations where I'm at the moment. I bought one of those laser pointers where you can kind of measure, you know, the size of rooms and I've been making a general floor plan of the house I'm in at the moment. And the idea is that I want to try and then map, you know, some of these areas of geopathic stress, get my dowsing rods out, get my pendulums out find where the underground water is, if it's yang water, is it unhealthy water? Maybe there's somewhere that's healing within the house that's good. You know, definitely discover where these grids are in terms of the Hartman grid, the curry grid, and just, you know, note it down on a paper, actually on a floor plan, just so you know. And then maybe you can then position your bed and, and your desk and, and your sofa in various positions to kind of, you're going to spend, you know, seriously long periods of time there where it's good to sort of find a sweet spot in your house where you're not been affected by these energies so that's enormously empowering but in terms of the electromagnetics um it is quite hard to avoid them and so you can be living in quite restricted living conditions as well and you know this is what i found this is why i keep bouncing around different places because i just feel like i'm so sensitive energy it's quite hard for me to find somewhere when my body actually likes it is quite daunting you know really you stacking up all these various energies and harmful things and how it can affect your body it can be a little bit overwhelming and um, you know but knowledge is power and hopefully as a species we can move forward we can start to understand these, these ideas can start to percolate into this collective consciousness and maybe we can start to build habitations and cities and towns and you know dwellings and communities that take in these energies like they did in ancient china you know the kind of the rulers of the time understood this and they started to implement public uh, you know, servants to kind of help people to decide where some of these dwellings should go so it wasn't causing them harm. But referring back to the website Land and Spirit that I recently found, 
there's a nice little conclusion to do with geopathic stress and actually how important it is. And it goes like this. It says, how many lives could have been saved and how much suffering could have been avoided if the understanding of the importance of the influence of geopathic stress upon life on Earth was more widely recognised? And I think that sums it up like how important it is. So there you go. Something to ponder well on. Think about test in your own life when you have time. As always, it's been really great talking to you. You can catch me on reconsidersimon.com. I'm also on various video platforms. I'm on YouTube, I'm on Rumble, I'm on Odyssey, I'm BitChute. And you can find me on all the major podcast platforms as well. I've been Reconsider Simon and have a good morning, night or afternoon, wherever you are in the world. Thank you very much. Take care. Bye. Thank you.